This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I came across this that I'm going to share with you a few weeks ago. Some of you may have seen this before, but I was fascinated to see the ages of some of those men that we call the founding fathers of the United States back in 1776. Anytime we see paintings of those early days and the signing of the Declaration of Independence, men have gray hair, right? I mean, we imagine that these are older, seasoned men, and yet when you look down the list of some very familiar names, including some who signed the Declaration of Independence, many of them were young men. They were not prominent men. They could have never imagined what was going to lie ahead for them, where life was going to take them from 1776 onward. And as I was looking down the list, I came to the last one on the list, the oldest, George Washington, and it hit me that I am turning 44 this year. George Washington was 44 when the declaration was signed, so perhaps my best days are ahead, or more likely, like George Washington, my hardest days are ahead. And I even was thinking back to when I came here to South Tulsa as your pastor I was 37 years young back then. Some of you gave me a hard time about my age, and I said, look, I will work on that every year from this day on, okay? I'll try to, try to get older, and that indeed has happened. And looking at this list, I, I think about how history is filled with stories of younger, in many cases less prominent people who are used to do really significant things. I even think about some people from scripture like David, like King Josiah, like Ruth, 
like Esther. They were young. In many cases, they weren't in prominent positions at the beginning of their story. But God used them to do incredible things. And when we come to this season of Advent and we think about these stories, we, we can't help but think of Mary and Joseph in the same way. Today, we're going to talk about Joseph quite a bit. But I want to remind us that Joseph is not at the center of this story. Just like we said last week about Mary, Mary is not at the center of this story, nor is the angel Gabriel. Though they all have important parts to play, it is Emmanuel who is at the center of all of this. It is the promises of God, the promises of a Messiah that are coming to fruition and all the explanations and the messages that Gabriel is giving to people that Gabriel gives to Joseph as we've seen today they're all about God's promises being fulfilled so that we don't mistake during this season with all the different people we talk about in these Advent stories it is Jesus the Messiah the Redeemer the anointed one who is at the center and it's he alone who we worship during this season today we will consider how these scriptures remind us that the anointed one the messiah came to fulfill the promises of god specifically promises of salvation that as we see in these stories the people of god were crying out for a deliverer they were crying out for a redeemer who would save them and the redeemer came the messiah has been here these also are reminders of God's fulfillment of his promises of his presence. His very personal presence with us here on earth as God himself put on the flesh and blood of a human being and he made his dwelling among us. And in this season of Advent, this is what we are here to talk about. When that moment came that the Messiah was coming into the world, one of the signs that scripture prepared us for that God's promises were being fulfilled was that Jesus the Messiah would be born of a virgin born by the supernatural providence of God and one of the reasons I want to start here this morning is because this is a central tenet of our faith and belief that Jesus was born of a Messiah that scripture told us this is how it was going to happen that jesus as the messiah was born of a virgin and that we would say it's only through the supernatural power and providence of god that this could be the case and this was a sign it was a, a signal that this moment was happening on earth and matthew introduces it in verse 18 by saying this is how it all happened this is how the birth of jesus the Messiah came about and what follows is yet another account of the promise of a virgin birth now as we consider this moment I want to turn for just a second to a scripture from Galatians chapter 4 because I think the language that the apostle Paul uses here is really important for us to really think about the moment when the birth of the Messiah happened Paul says it this way, when the set time had fully come. Some of your translations will say, when the fullness of time came. We see this moment as a culmination of many things. 
But above everything else that we understand about the moment, we know that God chose it. He chose this exact moment and time and place for the Messiah to come into the world. And the purpose, Paul reminds us that that God sent his son at the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. To redeem those of us who are also under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption into the family of God. Jesus, the Messiah, was born for our salvation at the exact moment and time in history that God appointed. And he was born to call attention to what God was doing and for the glory of God the Father. Yes, but listen, he also came into the world so that you and I might see that way opened up that we get to come into the family. We get to experience that adoption. And we get to say we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings because when the set time came, the Messiah came into the world. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Matthew is saying, that this moment was the time God had chosen for the birth of Messiah to take place. Now, from a practical standpoint, if you'll indulge me in just doing a little bit of teaching for a moment here, there are some other reasons why this moment in history worked out so well and why perhaps God chose this moment in history also as a fulfillment of Scripture, but also because there were some practical things that could take place. For one thing, we see throughout the Scriptures that God's people, Israel, they were once again crying out for rescue. Do you notice that throughout Scripture, when God's people call out to him, he hears them? When God's people cry out, he listens. And once again, the people of Israel were crying out for rescue, for a redeemer, to free them from the oppression. Once again, they're under the boot of oppression, and this time it is the Roman Empire. And as his people are crying out, God hears and God answers. But also, the Romans had provided some of those practical things that would really be an integral part of this story. For the first time in history, you had an advanced system of roads going all throughout this part of the world, so it made travel much easier. It made it possible that that shepherds could be on the scene, but also men could come from the east, and they could be a part of this story. Then, in a few decades after this, as the church is born, it, it made it possible that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, could go to so many places more than it ever could have before. And along with those roads came the not-so-aptly named Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, which made it possible that you could travel all the way from what we call the UK to the shores of India back in those days. And so it was a great time in history for the Messiah to come. But also, so you think about the advancement of roads and technology and the ability to travel, and, and, and there was also this spiritual and religious hunger, and, and through philosophy and science and the common language of Greek and Hellenism, so many people were open to new ideas. And it sounds very similar as we say these things to the times in which we're living So why didn't Jesus wait and come now? Because, boy, we need a Savior again right now, don't we? 
Well, one of the biggest differences between their time and ours is the temple was still standing. And God had promised through his prophets and promised through the word that when the anointed one came, the temple would play a prominent role. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed and it's yet to be rebuilt. So even then at this moment in time when the fullness of time came and the temple was standing you can see God's promises being fulfilled but more importantly than any of this is that God chose this moment he chose this moment in history for the birth of Christ and he chose this generation to also see the death of the Messiah all according to his plan when the fullness of time came God sent his son. We might say it like this. When the world most needed a savior, God met our need. Jesus Christ, born of a woman, who put on flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us so that we might say at just the right time, the Messiah came into the world. And a part of this story as we consider the moment of Christ's birth is this man named Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And what Joseph didn't know yet in this verse, pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, what he had in mind, his solution was to divorce her quietly. Mary's pregnancy was more than just a threat to their marriage. Her pregnancy was a threat to the entire family's reputation. Her pregnancy was a threat to their standing in the community. And Mary had the benefit of her angelic visit of being told in advance before she conceived, this is what's going to happen. We read this last week when the angel spoke to Mary. He said, this moment is coming where the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And the child that you are going to conceive is going to be the one we call the Messiah. Joseph doesn't know this yet. Mary turns up pregnant and he's wrestling with what to do. Joseph is in a seemingly impossible situation deciding whether or not he's going to take this step or that step. But thankfully, as Matthew tells us, Joseph was a righteous man. He was an upright Judean Jewish man from the line of David who obeyed the law of Moses carefully. But notice why Joseph decided he was going to divorce her quietly. It was not to save his own skin. It was not about his own reputation, but it was because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. We see here in Joseph's character a man who loved Mary. He was a man of integrity, and he was a man that even in this difficult situation was going to put her needs above his own. You know, even today, a woman who is abandoned or a woman who experiences divorce is very likely to end up in poverty. If that's true today, how much more so was it true in the ancient world where women were almost exclusively dependent upon men, and yet it seems to be Joseph's motive that Mary doesn't end up in those circumstances. But instead, 
that he would divorce her quietly and she would avoid that level of disgrace. You know, that word quietly is interesting when we talk about Joseph because I mention this every year throughout all the stories of Advent, Joseph never says a recorded word. Have you noticed that? Joseph never speaks, at least any point that's recorded in Matthew or Luke, Joseph never says a word out loud that got written down. But his actions speak loudly. He was a righteous, God-fearing man who loved Mary, who cared about her well-being, and was the right man at the right time to be brought into this story. But remember, Joseph is not at the center of this story, though he is a man to be admired. He's a good man, or as I've said in the past, he was a good dude, right? Joseph was a good guy. But he is not at the center of this story. It is Jesus the Messiah who is at the center of this story. Born of a virgin by the supernatural providence of God, that there would be no doubt that this is the long-awaited and expected Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah was the fulfillment of God's promises. As we said this morning, he is the Messiah of promise. And in particular, he was the fulfillment of God's promises of his salvation for us, but also of his presence with us, with all of humanity. And as Joseph is considering, after hearing that his wife is pregnant, what he might do next, Gabriel, the very busy angel during the Advent season, appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he addressed him, Joseph, son of David, which only Jesus and Joseph ever get that title in the New Testament, son of David. This is a prominent title. It's an important moment. It's a, a, a title and expression that comes with authority. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Mary's pregnancy is not a sign that she has been unfaithful to you. Her pregnancy is a sign of her faithfulness to God. She is a woman who is highly favored. She is a woman with much grace. And as Joseph has to take all of this in, we too, as we read these stories, as we consider the story of Joseph and Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus, ultimately we end up with like a million questions, right? And if you've ever told these stories to your children or your grandchildren over and over, sometimes our kids ask some really hard questions about all of this. There's mystery to it, there's wonder, and it, it's hard for us to understand how possibly do we put all the pieces of this story together in a way that makes sense. Some questions that come to mind for me. How is it possible that the infinite God could be contained in the womb of a mortal person? How does a virgin bear a child and still remain a virgin as traditional Christian doctrine tells us? How is it possible? Did, did God the Father form the physical body of God the Son? inside Mary's womb. Psalm 139 tells us that's what God does for us. 
that he forms us with delicate care even when we are inside our mother's womb how do we picture god the father forming the physical body of god the son did jesus also have mary's dna flowing through his body these questions are fascinating to consider and if we have a million questions imagine how joseph must have felt right but the angel gabriel ultimately gives all of us the one answer we need to all of our questions and he gives joseph the one answer he needs for all of the questions he must have had the end of verse 20 what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit with all of the wonder that those questions and all of our questions might bring to mind at the end of the day what settles the matter for me how the puzzle all comes together what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit this is all done by the work of god and joseph and mary just happen to be the blessed chosen people who get to experience all of this wonder during the first advent story gabriel continues she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus because he will save his people from their sins that name yeshua means the lord is my salvation that's the name you're to give him because he will save his people from their sins and this is where we see the messiah of promise the promise first of salvation he will save his people from their sins this child is coming with the purpose of opening up the way for adoption that even though we are born under the law and because we're born under the law we experience the curse of sin the messiah has come to fulfill god's promises of salvation and he has opened a way for us that we can be right with god and we can be saved he also is the fulfillment of the promise of god's presence all this took place matthew says to fulfill what the lord had said through the prophet isaiah we already heard it read this morning that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him emmanuel which means that promise of god's presence god is with us do you believe that today as we sit in this place together that the promise of god's presence was not just for those who were a part of the first advent but that promise remains today and his presence is with us even as we sit in this room the fulfillment of all of these promises would would not be something we could know lest jesus christ the anointed one the messiah came into the world and he has done that very thing and as i think about at the center of this story the promises of god i am as confident as i've ever been in my life that this is what christmas is all about and i'm going to share a couple of trite sayings with you that might surprise you because i don't normally say these kinds of things but i'd love for you to affirm them in agreement if you so agree jesus is the reason for the season Amen. we must keep christ in our christmas Amen. now i just set you up okay 
because you just affirmed those little trite sayings did you know that this year christmas day falls on a sunday december 25th we will be having church that day and so i'm glad you're all in agreement that you will be here when we have church on christmas day on sunday morning i set you up this is what christmas is all about what christmas is all about what the season is all about why we celebrate advent and i shared this with you last week it's that we don't just think about this at the last minute but there's some intentionality of going through a season of preparing our hearts and as i encouraged us last week what i'm praying for you and for me is a season where we might actually be able to slow down a little bit and a season where we might really be able to consider the deep meaning of why we celebrate in the first place and these words that we talk about throughout advent hope and love and joy and peace we light a colored candle for each one of those words none of those things would be possible for us to know to the fullest extent if it weren't for the one we celebrate with the center candle christ himself and that's what this season is about that we would remember because of jesus christ because of his birth because of his life because of his death and his resurrection we can truly know hope and love and joy and peace he is the center of this story jesus christ our emmanuel he is what this season is all about and he is the fulfillment of god's promises of salvation and god's promise of his presence with humanity still with us today as we close i want us to finish out matthew chapter one and turn back to joseph for just a moment matthew tells us that when joseph woke up he obeyed he did what the angel of the lord had commanded him he took mary home as his wife he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he did what the earthly father's supposed to do he was given the naming rights and even though he wasn't Jesus' biological father, he took this responsibility and he did what the angel told him to do. He named him Jesus, who came to take away our sins. Joseph never speaks a word during the story of the first advent, but his actions speak loudly. In a world that was often very unsafe and unfair to poor women and children, Joseph proved that he was not only a righteous man, but he was also safe. And he was trustworthy. And he was caring. And I love the way the ancient Christian Bede the Venerable wrote, Joseph was a husband who was both a perfectly sure witness to Mary's integrity and also a completely trustworthy foster father for our Lord and Savior. Later on in the story, though, Joseph doesn't say anything that's recorded. Joseph would have to step up as the man, the husband, the father on several other important occasions. He would have to get his family safely on the trip to Bethlehem with a very pregnant Mary in a very difficult journey. He would have to care for them during the, the circumstances of, of Jesus' birth, which were far less than ideal. He would have to protect them as they 
They took off to Egypt when they got word that a murderous man in power wanted to take the life of the child and they went seeking refuge in another country and Joseph took that responsibility and he led and then he would have to bring his family back to Nazareth a couple of years later and then raise Jesus and his his siblings though we don't have record of that story we can see echoes that Joseph invested well in his family again you don't have to be old and you don't have to be in a position of prominence to do really important things Joseph serves as a great example, just like Mary, of a faithful and available servant who when we remember him during this season, we see he did not miss it. And I pray too for us that we don't miss one moment that God has for us during this season of Advent. And that we would not forget this morning that the center of this story is not Joseph. And it's not Mary, but it is Jesus himself, our Emmanuel, God with us. And as we're considering his birth this morning, I also encourage us, plead with us that we would consider his death. When we think about the manger, may we also think about the cross. And when we proclaim that the promises of God have been fulfilled, salvation and presence through his birth, we also proclaim that those same promises have been fulfilled through his death. Paul wrote this in Romans using very similar language to the language he used in Galatians about the birth. He uses about Christ's death. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But here's a verse that many of you probably have committed to memory. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. That though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. So we consider the miracle, the providence, the promise of his birth this morning. May we not forget where this story goes a few years later as God once again fulfills his promises and shows his faithfulness to us through Christ's sacrificial death for our sins. He is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is our Messiah of promise. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today that as we have gathered together for worship, as we've opened the scriptures, Lord, that you have reminded us in what what hopefully is just a very simple way, what's at the center of this season. And I pray this for myself as much as for anybody else here and watching online. Lord, that you would draw that focus of my heart through this season to the things that really matter the most. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The promises of hope. Your demonstration of love the joy that Christ brings, the peace that we so desperately seek, and at the center of it all, Jesus Christ himself. Lord, would you continue to lead me to live out thankfulness in and through Jesus Christ in my home and here in our church and all the places that I go. 
And Lord, for all of us today, would you remind us that Jesus is at the center of it all. I pray as we have this time of invitation and response that you would speak to every heart here. For each one of us, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, would you draw us close and draw us near and remind us just how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.